here's what I tell them. I'm not asking you to be an expert in this. I'm asking you to know how to refer. There's no excuse to not know the basics of how to help a victim. And even if you can't be the expert in that moment, to know where to refer her. And you absolutely do not refer her back home. Welcome back to Avent Next. Today, we are continuing our conversation with our guest, Erica Jones, the Assistant Director of Women's Ministries for the North American Division and Director of the End It Now campaign. Chances are many of you listening to this program either have personal experience with or know someone who has been affected by domestic violence or sexual assault. While society is becoming more and more intentional about bringing awareness and combating abuse, the church has struggled with their theological understandings of submission, divorce, and equality within marriage. On today's program, we hope to provide some practical tools and advice that pastors and lay members can use to help victims of violence reduce harm and showcase the love of God. This episode, we're talking about a very cool initiative that you are the coordinator for. It's the End It Now campaign. It's a campaign that is bringing awareness about violence against women. Yes. And um, so tell me a little bit about this position and, and what you do. So as assistant director for Women's Ministries, the End It Now um, campaign kind of came under uh, my purview, if you will, but it was really just resource Based, um, we wanted to provide um, churches with resources to help them understand what dom- domestic violence looks like, mm. um, so that they'd be more aware. But there was not a whole lot of momentum or traction behind it. It was mostly women's ministries directors that were requesting the information. They were spearheading it, and we're very thankful to them for that. But we know now that if pastors and administrators are not on board and don't understand it, it's really not going to grow. It's mm. not going to be the, the churches aren't going to take it on as as their own as something of importance. So I guess it was a little over a year ago that North American Vision um, very, I think, intelligently decided that rather than end it now being kind of a women's ministries initiative, um, you know, it's not a women's issue. It's a it's a human yeah. issue. Yeah. So it is now a multi-departmental collaborative initiative of the North American Division. And it's been really interesting to watch because even though I, I still manage it, I'm working with other departments who are helping facilitate and distribute material and talk about it. Yeah. Pastors are calling me. Pastors are emailing me. Pastors mm. are saying, what is this? I've never heard of this. Mm. What can I do? That's a first. And all it took was making this a movement because really it is family ministries and children's ministries and youth ministries. It's all of us. Right. So I'm very excited about the changes that have taken place Um I'm the secretary for the what we call the End It Now Task Force, okay. which is made up of all of those ministries, one person from each of those ministries that I just um, mentioned. But also I felt very, very strongly that on this issue, we can't afford to get it wrong. We need experts. So I've brought in experts from outside the division. Yeah. Many of them do not work for the church. Some of them do, hmm. but they're experts in this. They live and breathe this work. They're passionate about it. They also serve on that committee because wow. their, their voice is invaluable. Yeah, yeah. critical. That's amazing. I mean, I went to the End It Now Summit last year, and we're working on a little project with you guys. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
you know, abuse in the church, whether it's domestic violence or sexual violence, this is one of the most probably underreported things that happen in the church. Yes. And I was really astounded to find out it was like, I think seven out of 10 women who go to church, the first person that they talk to about whether it's domestic or sexual violence is their pastor. Correct. And if pastors are not educated about how to respond, to give correct advice, to not give harmful advice, like, well, you should go back, or even to try and do uh, couples counseling. counseling is a huge mistake. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. (laughs) What what are some of the mistakes that pastors make as the first line of defense? So here's what I tell them. Hmm. I'm not asking you to be an expert in this. I'm I'm asking you to know how to refer. There's no excuse to not know the basics of how to help a victim. And even if you can't be the expert in that moment to know where to refer her and you absolutely do not refer her back home when this is happening. Mm. I have heard, well, that's your cross to bear. Um, This is the life that God has given you. You know, if you leave him, what might happen to his spiritual life? (laughs) Um, No, the God that I serve, the God that I know would not tell a woman, yeah, I know he's beating you, but... That's your cross to bear. That's your cross to bear. Yeah. Absolutely not. So that's a big one. Um, Basically, a lot of them throw their hands up and say, you know, I'm really sorry, but I don't know what to do. Well, we're going to take the guesswork out of it for Mm. them. One of our newest resources is a decision tree specifically for pastors or people in the church that want to help and don't know what to do. It's a very simplified guide if this, then. Hmm, right. If this, then. I mean, we have boiled it. Baby steps. Baby yeah. steps. But you know what gives me hope? Yeah. As I travel and take that resource with me, they want it. Good. It's not that they're saying, we just want to not know, not care, not be a part of it. It's like, we just don't know what to do. Right. So we're creating new resources to help them with that. But yeah, the, the couples counseling thing... Um, I, I won't mention him by name, but there is an amazing non-denominational pastor who has made this really his life work mm. uh, to help women that are in these situations. He does it with his wife. And he did a seminar for and was speaking to other pastors. And he said, you don't realize how easily manipulated mm. you will be by an abuser. If you call them in with the wife and sit them down and try to counsel them through this, Without a shadow of a doubt, that guy will manipulate and lie. And by the end of the session, she will be looking at you and saying, it's really not that bad. I probably misunderstood. It's so true. I mean, most most people who are narcissistic abusers have a charm to them mm-hmm. and they know how to win people. That's kind of their, their space. They're able to navigate that very well. And if you're not discerning, if you... Yeah, you can be swept off your feet. And I think there's a, some statistics, maybe from the same guy, I'm not sure. But um, he was talking about pastors are very, you know, they don't think that it's happening in their congregation. I think like the majority of pastors think maybe 5% of their members have gone through something like this. It's much higher than that. Much higher. To give you an example and to give, you know, the the audience an example, um, my, my colleague and I came to seminary um, to do a little training exercise. So we invited the seminary students, and there were maybe 100, 150 people in the room. We passed out a very short um, uh, kind of a survey on childhood trauma, abuse, traumatic experiences that they've had in life. We asked them not to put their name on it, to not write anything on it that would give away who it was, and to go through these questions and answer them. And this is everything from, have you entertained suicidal thoughts? Were you abused as a child? Have you perpetrated abuse against another? Heavy, 
heavy, traumatic experiences, okay? Yeah. We collect them, we shuffle them, Mm. and we pass them back out. Mm. And we said, as we read through these, we'd like you to stand in proxy for the person that marked that on their sheet of paper. So there's no embarrassment. There's no shame. We understand when you stand, this is not you standing for yourself. Right. You're representing somebody. Representing someone else. One by one by one, we read through these horrible, horrible experiences. Wow. 10, 15 people stand up, sit down. 25 people stand up, sit down. Every single question, there was... 30, 40% who had experienced just one of those items listed there. Wow. We did that because we want them to know that when they come out of seminary and they're pastoring a church, that is a representation of their church sanctuary on any given Sabbath. So true. It's so true. You can't afford not to recognize it. Yeah. And you can't afford to not speak on it. You know, it's like, it just allows for predators to thrive, to go unconfronted. I mean, there, there's a great book, you know, we talked about it called Let Us Pray, P-R-E-Y. Mm. Yep. And talking about how, you know, churches are non-confrontational spaces. Narcissistic abusers tend to thrive in that space because we're too nice, we're too polite. And in that culture, you know, unfortunately, we're not um, having the kind of conversations that we need to have. And some scary numbers of like... 30% of uh, church leaders in the survey that they, they did out of like 1,500 people qualified as narcissistic abusers. Right. Right. And it's it's staggering. So it's here in our church. Yep. And if we're not bringing out the conversation, you know, we're not really creating a safe spiritual space. I like to say evil breeds in darkness. Hmm. When you keep stuff in the dark and act like it doesn't exist, it continues to grow like mold. It just continues to fester. When you open the door and you hit it with light and truth, yeah. it cannot survive. If we want our churches to be safe spaces, we have to be willing to talk about it, to have programs on it. I am amazed at how many churches have not go, go at least, at the very least, gone through the Verified Volunteers program. Wow. Okay? That is a minimal background check for elders, um, deacons, pastors, and anyone working with minors. Cool. Anyone. And I have heard time and time again, well, this is church. We need to be able to trust. The same pastor that I mentioned earlier said to me, predators love churches because of the automatic Mm. trust that's just handed over to them. They don't even have to work for it. No. Our children deserve better than that. We all deserve better than that, but our children specifically deserve better than that. So if you have not, if your church has not gone through verified volunteers and you haven't had background checks done on the people working with minors, you need to do that immediately. Hmm. What are some of the the myths that you think that the church is dealing with that they don't tend to have these conversations or that they're not having, you know, these background checks? What are some of the things that might be ingrained in our theology that we might be doing badly or just tradition? Like, what do you think is is behind Mm. there? So I think a few things. I think one, if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist, Yeah, which is is just completely not true. If we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. That wouldn't happen here in our little church. It actually happens a lot in small rural communities because it's even easier to to get away with. Um, 
we have to trust and, you know, God wouldn't allow that to happen in a church. Uh, you know, he's a Christian. Um, you know, that just, these kind, th- this way of thinking just mm-hmm. perpetuates it. Mm-hmm. And they know to look, perpetrators know to look for that kind of mentality. If you walk in and you see very clearly, and we have them, we provide them for free, and you see posters and little brochures in the restroom, and you see that there's programs happening on the weekend, whatever it is, if you walk into that space and you know, oh, these people have gotten it figured out, they're not playing around, you're not going to get away with it. Yeah. If they say, sorry, you know, we, we understand that you have been, you have served as a Whatever you've you've been working with young people before, now you're in our conference, right. and we're going to need you to do a background check. Yeah. And even then, I've heard the excuse, "Well, they're not comfortable giving up their private information." No and problem, but you're not allowed to work with children now. Yeah, that, that, that's that's the offset. Those are your choices, and those are the only choices you have. Yeah, I think you know we definitely live in a space where we have a wrong understanding of what grace looks like <laughs> or a wrong understanding of what what forgiveness looks like i think that sometimes that can put us into a bind because like you said we're we're giving people trust maybe before they've earned it correct what are some things that you know if somebody if somebody is going through an abusive situation right now like what are some things that end it now is trying to do to kind of reach this population who's in the church and is also experiencing um trauma at home, whether sexual or domestic violence? So a couple of things. Um, If you go to the End It Now North America website, um, under resources, there's a link called Get Help. Mm. That is an amazing website where you can literally just put in your zip code and it's going to show you all the available resources in your area, everything from shelters, counselors, um, the domestic violence, you know, like the government agency that's local to you or the justice center that's local to you. You know, there are things that we can do at NAD and there are things that we need to let other people do. That's one of them. So we want victims um, to know that that's that's available very quickly. Um, We also have a list of Christian counselors if they're interested. So kind of two parts to what we're doing. I would say our, our priority, our target is educating pastors, administrators, teachers, people that are in the roles to be able to protect the people that they serve, right? I'm not there. So I want to educate the people that are there and have the ability to make a difference, be very educated on what to do, not do, and again, how to help a victim through this process. Second to that is if the abuse is perpetrated by a church employee, Hmm. That's where we can step in. Okay. So we want them to understand that there is a policy for this. There is a process for this. We do not take it lightly. Um, I can, you know, give you the links and the resources to that information. But if this abuse, sexual or otherwise, is being perpetrated by a church employee, there is a process, and we are going to deal with it. Um, I'm actually as part of the the task force. We, are, we have been given the ability to look at the policy that exists and say, where are the gaps? Where is the need? What have we missed here? Yeah. Now, some people can say, well, that's boring. That's not going to help. It does. Policy matters when it comes to addressing this, these internal challenges. Yeah. It gives us a process to follow. And not only that, if there's a perpetrator in the church working and we can deal with that very swiftly, we also have the ability to prevent them working for another conference or union. Mm. And that has been missed 
over the years. We right. haven't, one conference hasn't reported to another, hey, we had this problem over here. Now he's not going to jail, but we know that this actually did happen, but we couldn't prosecute him. And they don't report it to the conference he's jumping over to. Wow. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I've had of, you know, like a youth pastor that jumped from one to the next and perp- did it a second time because nobody reported it. Wow. So that's what we're trying to change. Yeah. Second to that, I want women to know that we, we're acknowledging this. We know this happens. We are so sorry for what you've been through. I'm personally sorry for all of these years that the church didn't step up and say, we recognize this happens and we're going to do something about it. And we're sorry we haven't protected you wow. in the past. Your church does care. I think one of the most amazing things that I've learning from some of these uh, these summits and a lot of the programs that you guys are putting on is is the distinction that the church doesn't need the same level of evidence that maybe a criminal justice court system might need. Correct. You know, like you need so much evidence to say, okay, you're criminally guilty. But even in civil lawsuits, you don't need as much evidence. Right. Uh, but that the church has a responsibility where they don't have to go by, well, did he get sent to jail? How much time did he get? Yep. You can say, no, we have enough evidence to know that this person doesn't need to be employed by our church or that this is person is unsafe. They don't exhibit, I mean, even down to the, that you do not exhibit the values that yeah. we adhere to and uphold. And one of the biggest things, this just breaks my heart. There have been women <clears throat> that have gone to their pastor and said, you know, this happened to me, whether it was on church property, whether it was a volunteer or an employee, they go to their pastor. And I have heard time and again of churches bringing together like a board and it's usually men And they ask the woman to come in and say, so what happened? Oh, no. (laughs) This is so inappropriate. I mean, talk about doing things the absolute wrong way. And here's the thing. The policy we actually already have addresses this. We have spelled it out how to go about investigating that type of situation in a way that is appropriate, in a way that protects her, in a way that protects even the organization in terms of, do we allow that person to, when this investigation is ongoing, do we allow the alleged perpetrator to come to church? All of these things are spelled out and nobody knows that it exists. Wow. When we released E87, when we talked about E87 last year, the summit on abuse, I got so many emails and calls saying, where can I find this? Wow. They didn't know it existed. And it's actually empowering to have it because now it's in front of you Say, okay, this is what this is how we handle this from yeah. now on. Yeah. Please don't ever put a woman in a position to tell a room full of men what's happened to her. Yeah, that's not a good look. Not at all. And something and tell me how typical this is because some, you know, as we've been filming and getting different stories of, of different survivors, I want to know how how typical are these stories to kind of maybe what's happening on the broader scale. Mm-hmm. As far as like domestic violence goes, you know, a lot of women tend to stay because they feel like there's some theological reasons that they need to as far as, you know, that the Bible doesn't condone divorce unless there is like direct evidence of adultery, um, but that, you know, emotional, spiritual, and physical abuse isn't necessarily one of those categories uh, for divorce. I mean, is that pretty typical? Like women are are staying longer than they should because they feel like they have a, a religious obligation to do so? Absolutely. And I think it's across the board, across many denominations. I think it's, it's mm. you know, Christian women feel like I got married for life, you know? But here's the thing. Open our church manual. Hmm. Physical abuse is listed there Hmm. as being a reason to leave, to divorce. That's good. Now, 
while that's a good thing that it's listed there, it's not enough. Right. Abuse can be per- perpetrated financially, mentally, emotionally. I mean, the list goes on. Right. Um, we actually have a very comprehensive um, uh, abuse like wheel on our website that has been really helpful for a lot of people. And that's one of the first things that this task force wants to address is mm-hmm. how do we update that to reflect the fact that it's not just if you hit me, it's not just if you kick me, it's if you continually are derogatory and demeaning and isolating. And yeah. this is abuse. Yeah. This is abuse and it is not. You can't tell me that that's what God had in mind for a healthy marriage. Right. So those are the kinds of things that we're looking at that I think literally could make a huge difference going forward in giving women not the freedom to divorce, but the freedom to know this is not what God had in mind for me hmm. and I can leave this yeah. situation yeah. and not feel guilt about it. Yeah that this is not healthy for me and that that God loves you enough to say, I don't want to see you die. You know, <laughs> I don't want to see you die by the hands of your abusers, whether right. it's spiritually death or it's physical death. And I think that we have a wrong conception of God to think that he holds the institution as more important than the actual person enduring that. And I think right. that's a message that I know that you guys are trying to get across. And I feel like that's a very healthy thing to do because it's showing women who are struggling, you know, searching their Bibles, scouring the pages to see, you know, do I have the religious grounds to leave? Is God going to be angry with me if I, if I do this? Um, I think what you guys are doing is really phenomenal in that regard. Yeah. Thank you. I I think it's also empowering to our younger generations that we're we're acknowledged, not just acknowledging this, but saying this is wrong. Mm. You know, we've talked about young people today and they're all about justice. They're all about justice. So if they see a church that is covering up, that is hiding, that is sticking this somewhere away and saying, no, this doesn't happen here, they don't want any part of that. They don't want any part of that. So I think it's also encouraging empowering to our younger generations to say, hey, they're actually calling this out. That's so true. I mean, I think that's where our cultural shift is right now. Like we want to see churches who are active in upholding the cause of the, you know, the poor, the widow, the oppressed, and people who are dealing with domestic violence and sexual assault are the oppressed. You know, they are the victims. Absolutely. The book, and I'm sure, you know, you've read it, the Lundy Boncroft book, you know, why does he do that? Mm -hmm. And I think the church you know, for us to be educated in the reasons why this happens is not maybe the reasons why we think it happens. Because a lot of times we say, well, if she could just stay and work with him a little longer. (laughs) If she would stop making him so mad, if she would just do what he wants her to do, he wouldn't hit her. Exactly. And we victim blame, you know, and we're not placing the responsibility squarely upon the shoulders of who it needs to be. Yes. And we we tend to over, I don't want to say it sound like mean, but we tend to overly sympathize with the perpetrator. Yes. You know, where we're like, well, he's a victim too, and we need to help him. But to do that at the cost of the person he's hurting is not our place. Right. And, you know, there is room, I think, for this Ended Now task force to say, okay, how do we deal with. Well, if there has been investigation or we know this is happening and we this perpetrator still wants to be part of the church, how do we handle that? Well, to boil it down, action follows word. Hmm. So if you promise or you claim or you state, I'm this is going to be different now, that's fine, but I don't believe you right. until that's followed up in action, in life, that we see that there's an actual change. God doesn't say, you know, you're forgiven of your sins and you can do it as many times as you want. Well, yeah, he forgives and forgives and forgives, but he also says sin no more. Hmm. So it has to be followed up with action. Um, 
And you know, statistically, women don't lie about this. Women don't make this up. And we've gotten kind of pulled along into that mentality of, you know, well, we've got to ask her a million questions and make sure that, that, you know, she's telling the truth. It is incredibly hard, especially in a church community for a woman to come forward about this. It's embarrassing. She's hurting. She feels alone. She feels isolated. And now she feels like, am I going to lose my church too? Yeah. Can I be part of this church now that this has happened? So yes, we do need to address that. Of course, there is room for grace for for everyone, but there's a process. Yeah. There is a process. It's earned. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So what do you want to see as you move forward in the next couple of years with End It Now? Like, mm-hmm. what are you guys trying to do as you move forward? What are some some goals that you want to see accomplished like in the next five years or so? Oh, I want it sooner than that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would like in the next, I, I will be open-minded and say two years. I'd, I'd really like to say one. Hmm. Um, but we are meeting actually in the next couple of weeks to literally drill down in this policy to start creating new policy. And we're going to do a big launch at the year-end meeting at, yeah. at the office this fall about End It Now and the Summit on Abuse and everything we're doing. My goal is that, okay, I'll be, I'll be good. And I'll say two years from now, there will not be a Seventh-day Adventist church that doesn't know that End It Now exists, hmm. what it offers and that they that anybody that's part of this church understands this is a safe church where i will be heard that people will be accountable for their actions mm. and that we will do what we've said we are going to do yeah. we are not going to just write policy we're going to implement policy mm. and i mean i've said to some people since this came across my desk and i took this on as i got into it I told someone the other week, I think a year or so from now, there's going to be a lot of people out there that don't like me very much. Hmm, That's okay. And I said, I'll know then that I'm doing my job. Yes. You know, this has just been, it's been way too long. It's been way too long. And there have been so many people that have been hurt and felt they had nowhere to go. And, you know, like I've said before, people sometimes see God through us. All they have is other people in order to experience him. Hmm. And here their own church hasn't been willing to say, this is not okay. We don't yeah. want this for you. And yeah. that, that, time is, that time is coming. People who are going through victimizing situations, like the strong arm of God uh, of, of just kind of advocating for a person is what somebody needs at that time. Because sometimes we don't have the voice or we don't have the strength to advocate for ourselves. So to know that somebody out there is fighting the battle is what we need. And the fact that you're setting the tone for the church to do that, I think is just, it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Do you have uh, any last words that you want to leave us today as we kind of wrap up the program for today? I I just really want to invite everybody to at least check out the End It Now North America website to look Mm. at the resources we have. Everything is free. You can watch the uh, summits on abuse from the last couple of years. They're very, they're they're like 20 minutes. They're powerful. um, And they're really evergreen, um, Mm. the the topics and the presentations. Um, And if you're willing, you know, get some of our resources and hold an End It Now Emphasis Day in your church. Don't let this, don't, don't go another year without doing something to show the people in your church and your community that you care. Wow. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing, and thank you for taking the time to be on the program today. Thanks. Thanks again for listening in. We appreciate the support of our listeners and look forward to sharing this space with you. Stay tuned for next week as we talk with Dr. John Peckham about his new book, The Odyssey of Love, answering the age-old question, 
How can a good, omnipotent God exist if he allows evil to be present in the world? It's a conversation you don't want to miss. Thank you to the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. And remember, whatever platform you are listening on, be sure to comment, like, and subscribe. See you next week.